We'll go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6, continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere in front of you, one of those chairs in front of you. If you're looking in one of those Bibles, it's on page 1039, Ephesians 6. Before I begin, though, I just want to acknowledge that listening to sermons about Family relationships can be really difficult. Uh, we've had two sermons. Uh, the last two weeks have been on the relationship between a husband and a wife. And today we're looking at the relationship between parents and children. And for a variety of reasons, listening to, to sermons on the family can be, can be tough. Uh, for, for some, it's because you instantly think this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a child living at home, uh, and I have no children, or have no children at home at least. And, and so you can check out and think, okay, phew, this one doesn't apply to me. I can relax. Uh, I, I, there's no reason for me to listen to this passage in the Bible. Um, that's not true. We'll, we'll come back to why this is a helpful text for all of us. But for the flip side, some of you, it's difficult to listen to a sermon like this because it hits so close to home. Uh, kids, some of you have heard Ephesians 6, 1 feels like every day of your entire life. Uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Your parents took glow-in-the-dark paint and painted it all over your ceiling so that every night when you open your eyes, you see it there. It's just kind of glowing at you. Uh, maybe your dad has a tattoo of this verse on his arm uh, just to remind you, children, obey your parents. And you, you hear this and your eyes roll and it's, it's just it's so familiar or or maybe you just feel so bad about it. Like you hear this passage and, and think all I hear is is guilt and I'm embarrassed and ashamed of my relationship with my parent. It might surprise some of you kids to know this same passage can evoke some of those same feelings of um, guilt or shame in parents. Because in, in verse 4 that we're going to get to where it says, uh, parents don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the discipline, the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents can also hear that and kind of be dreading this sermon because uh, of just your own feelings of inadequacies that, that bubble up or feelings of shame or regret. It's also difficult, just almost on a, a side note, that just mentioning children and parent relationships can poke at some uh, deep wounds, maybe in your past, of feelings of, of regret or um, maybe just a broken home that you were raised in or even abuse that you experienced or just a, a feelings of loss. Um, uh, all, all of those things can be, can be associated when we're, when we're talking about families. So no sermon today then. No, that's not the, that's not the answer. Um, I am still going to preach this, but there are, I just want to, to acknowledge there's difficulties here in this and, and to encourage us not to check out, not to stop listening, uh, but to really seek what does God have for us in his word here. And so I promise there's something here for all of us, whether or not you're in one of those two primary categories right now or not. I also promise that my goal 
uh, is not for you to leave just feeling overwhelmed. Uh, my goal is not for you to leave just feeling bad and uh, feeling guilt and shame, but for you to see what, what Paul is telling us, that there is hope here for us. What he's calling us to, what God is calling us to, he is empowering us to obey as well. And so there's, there's optimism uh, that's in this passage uh, as well. So that was preface, but I've got one more thing that I want to do before getting to this passage by way of introduction is to think where, where does this passage fit in Paul's letter? So just brief review. We've, we've been going through this book of Ephesians. And so thinking through what's led us up to this point, where does this uh, little section about children and parents fit in his letter? So Many of you remember chapters one through three uh, covers the doctrine. This is, this is more focused on who we are uh, in Christ. Uh, so he opens in chapter one with this praise to the triune God, saying that God who created you, Father, Son, and Spirit created you and also redeemed you and saved you to the praise of his glorious grace. And then in chapter two, he, he backs up and says, because you were dead. In your trespasses and sins, you were hopeless. So he's, he's reminding us who we were apart from God, that we were hopeless without him. There was nothing that we could do to earn our way to him. He says, but God made you alive because of his mercy. Uh, by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own works. Uh, and, then, and then he says, and you've been saved and created in Christ Jesus. You're his workmanship, it says, or his handiwork unto good works. And so this, he's, he's doing a lot of identity work here for us, saying that if you are trusting in Jesus, then you are new. You have new life. You are a new person. And your life then should reflect that. That's what he gets to. And he starts in kind of this typical Pauline switch in, happens in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, where he says, therefore, because of all that, because of that doctrine, now this is the way that should look in your life. And so let me just remind us, the way that he does that is by using the word walk. Uh, and David preached on this, and he told us it's not about a strut. It's not about the, the way that you actually literally walk, but it's, it's your lifestyle, the way that this gets lived out, um, who you are, how it changes the way that you act and think and speak. And so in verse 1, if you, if you have a Bible open, just turn back to, to Ephesians 4.1 and see there where it says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you. So based on that, he's urging us, what? To walk worthy of the calling you've received. In 4.17, he says, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts, in, in 5.2, he says, And walk in love as Christ also loved us, gave himself for us. Ephesians 5.8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then one more, Ephesians 5.15, he says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk not as unwise people, but as wise. And so he's, he's giving us all of these instructions saying this truth about who you are and what God has called you to be should shape the way that you live. It should have practical implications for your life. Uh, and then, then he gets what's the beginning of our section is where he says, don't be drunk with wine because this leads to re reckless living. That's Ephesians 5, 18. 
He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and he's making this contrast. You're, you're drunk and you're under that influence and it leads to this kind of living. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, led by him, seeking to follow his leading, and it leads to this kind of living. And in 5... Um, 19, he says, these are, these, this is what it looks like. This is the implications of being filled with the Spirit. It leads to this, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. So there's this response of, of both praise to the Lord and speaking truth to one another. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything. So there's this response of thankfulness that comes when you are filled with the Spirit. And then this one that... that kicks off this section, verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And so he says, when you are filled with the Spirit, it shapes your relationships. And so this is where it starts getting close to home. And these family relationships is where he starts. And so that's why we looked at husbands and wives. And now he's flipping over to children and their parents. So let's look at what he says in Ephesians 6, 1, understanding this is a fruit or result of being filled with the Spirit means I'm going to be submissive in my relationships. It's going to affect the way that I relate to others. So now see what he says in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So our, our first point that we're going to look at is that children, you are called to obey your parents in the Lord. Um, listen to the way he words that. The way I worded that is not um, children are called. That's, that's speaking about children. No, he actually speaks to you. So there are some children that are in the room today. Imagine that you're hearing this letter read for the first time, that you didn't hear this verse read to you all of your life, but this is the first time you're, you're getting this letter from Paul. It's being read to the church, and you're hearing, and all of a sudden he says, now children, um, and your ears perk up a little bit. He's addressing me. And here's what he says to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Let's just think about that phrase at the end of it. In the Lord. What's it, what do you think it means when he says, obey your parents in the Lord? It's, it's a little tricky because of where it, where it comes in the sentence. It, it comes right after the word parents. So it sounds like maybe he's saying parents in the Lord. Uh, but we actually know it's, it's actually not describing parents. It's describing the word obey. So it's not saying Children, obey your parents if your parents are in the Lord, if your parents are Christians. No, children are called to obey their parents, whether their parents are Christians or not. It's not saying children obey your parents in the Lord. So like your spiritual parents or maybe if you have godparents or, or some, something like that. So it's not speaking of something like that. No, it's, it's actually saying obey in the Lord your parents. And so it's similar to what he said back when he was talking about husbands and wives. He says, as to the Lord there. And, and all throughout this letter, we see this word in Christ. And so what he's saying, kids, is that when you obey your parents, do that out of obedience to the Lord. 
So when you obey your parents, you are obeying the Lord. And it's, it's through his strength. It's through his power that you can do that. You can say no to your own desires for authority and to, to be in charge of your life and to be in control. And you say, no, I am, I'm obeying the Lord right now in this stage of life by obeying my parents. This is... I just want to mention a couple other places in the Bible that talk about obedience. And it might surprise you the, the kinds of lists that it shows up in. In Romans 1, there's this list of what life looks like if you're living without God, if you're living apart from God, the anti-God life. And he describes it like this. They, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, they're full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. You know, that, that, that one coming at the end of the list might just seem like, oh, well, that one's not that big of a deal. But in Paul's mind here, what he is teaching is for kids, what does it look like to be God-hater? What does it look like if you lived without God as your authority? This is, what it, this is the way, one of the ways that that would show up in your life is that you have no um, care for what your parents say and you want to be your own boss. You want to be in charge. That's, that's who we all are. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. One other, one other cross-reference passage um, the book of Colossians, you've probably heard this mentioned a few different times as we go through Ephesians. There's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of parallels in Paul's letter to the Colossians uh, as well. And this whole section that we're in right now, where it starts with being filled with the Spirit, uh, Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then some of these same effects show up, uh, submitting to one another, and then husbands and wives, children. And so when, when in Colossians he talks about children, Here's what he says. It's real similar, but listen to it. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, so let's just look, kids in the room, at three different reasons Paul gives in this passage for obeying your parents. The first one uh, is the one you know, the one that comes out right away. He says, because it's right uh, so he's just pointing to the created order and the word is there is for righteousness or so. So if God is, has created you, he's, he's made you and he, he declares then what is right and what is wrong. This is one of the things that we see through the goodness of his creations about what is right in this life and for children. What is right is that you obey your parents. And then he gives another reason. He says, so, so one is that it's right. The second is that it honors your parents. So what he's doing here, if you look at your Bible, you might see that it, it changes fonts here. For, not, not in every Bible, but some of them do that to show, okay, he's quoting something here. So maybe it's bold or it's italics or, you know, so, something looks different right here. It's because he's quoting from the Old Testament. Um, and he says, He's quoting actually from Exodus 20, verse 12, um, and Deuteronomy 5, 16, it's repeated. So this is the Ten Commandments. 
And kids, some of you have memorized the Ten Commandments, or at least familiar with them. You've, you've heard lessons on them. And so the first four commandments are, are teaching us about our relationship with God. The, the next six uh, relate more to how we relate one another uh, in our personal relationships. And this first one in that, in that phase is that you honor your father and mother. Um, so it says there in verse 2, honor your father and mother. And then you see it's not bold anymore. This is, this is Paul's little qualifier about that. He says, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then he goes on quoting again, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Um, kids, you're, I'm going to address everyone in the room now. So this is one of the ways where this passage applies to all of us. Because Paul here is in, in Ephesians is clearly talking about children in the home. Uh, we'll, we're going to see that as he talks about w- w- the way parents are relating to them, the word that he uses there of bringing them up. Uh, and the word children itself is, is implying these are young children who are still in their parents' home. And so the way that you children still living at home honor your parents is by obeying them. But here's how this applies to all of us, because that Old Testament command to honor is not just for children still in the home. All, all people, all humans are called to honor and to respect their parents. Um, Paul later in, in other passages uh, talks about how what this looks like at di- a different phase of life where you should provide for and take care of your parents in their old age as well. Um, and so there, there's, there are different ways that honor and respect is going to look in your relationship with your parents. Uh, more support for that maybe is uh, in Genesis 2. When Paul is giving, or not Paul, uh, uh, when the writer of Genesis is giving this uh, background, this origin story of marriage, uh, he's, he's talking about Adam and Eve. And then he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife and become one flesh. Uh, so it's, it's for this reason, what, what we see about Adam and Eve, that we, we have now this principle of, of marriage, that God instituted this covenant of marriage. And what it says in there is that they leave father and mother and become united. And so there's a new household that is formed. And I think by implication, we can also think of uh, single adults who have moved out of the home, who have established their own home, are no longer relating to their parents in the same way that you would as a child. And so, but coming back to our passage here, for children, for you, uh, teens and, and children in the home, you're, the way you honor your parents is through obedience. Okay, so because it is right, uh, because it honors your parents, and then this last one, this is, this is good, this is helpful, this is kind of God to give it to us in this way. Um, so the third reason is, is that it is for your good. Um, what he says here is he's quoting this Old Testament promise that was given to the people of Israel. Uh, remember, this is in the Ten Commandments. And so this is given to them shortly before the, the, the children, this nation of Israel is going to enter into the promised land. Uh, and he's giving them the, this commandment. And he says, and if you do this, it will go well with you. And you may live a long life in the land. And so this, this nation of Israel is receiving this promise that as, as they live life under God's rule and 
um, as they are seeking to, to be his people, living in his place, under his rule, they're also going to be receiving his blessing, his favor. And, and he's going to give them a long time in that promised land. Uh, today, we don't have uh, a promised land right now. That's, it's been replaced. We're looking forward to the day. Sometimes we see I'm bound for the promised land. So for God's people now, we're looking forward to the day when we are with him, uh, when, we, when we will dwell with him once again. But right now, there, there still is a principle for us here in this passage. And I think that's what Paul is doing, is, is showing it is good for you to obey your parents. It will lead to better life and, and good blessing and God's favor. Uh, kids, think about this with me. Some of the rules that your parents gave you when you were little, not that you're little now, but like when you were real little, you didn't like them. And you, you were confused by them. And you're, you're thinking, I don't know why my parents won't let me stick the knife in the electric outlet. How mean of them that they're keeping me from, from doing that. Or, or I don't know why they won't let me throw knives with my brother. Um, we're just, we're trying to catch them. Or I don't know why they won't let me grab that burning log out of the fire. And so you're, you're kind of angry with the rules that your parents gave you. But now that you're six or seven or eight or nine, you're looking back and you're thinking, oh, okay, now I get it. I'm wise now. And I can understand there was goodness to the rules that my parents had for me. But now you've got different ones that you're upset about. Maybe now you're a teenager and you've got different rules that you don't understand why your parents are giving you these things. Um, and still someday you might look back and think, okay, now I can see there was some goodness. There was some, some protection. It was, it was for my good. And God has ordered this. He's ordered this, this way. He's organized his world in this way that parents who generally have more wisdom are able to, to give guidance, give guidelines, give rules, have authority over their children in a way that promotes uh, a good life for them. Are there, though, any exceptions to this? Um, there aren't in this passage that we're looking at, but I don't know when uh, we'll be preaching again on children and their responsibility with their parents and, and to think about uh, how these things. And so I just want to spend maybe a minute or two thinking about, are there ever exceptions to obeying authority or specifically parents here? And the, the short answer is yes. Um, and so, okay, so now kids are listening. Okay, I want to know what, what ammo can I use at my parents uh, for, for when, when can I disobey? There, there is a bigger principle here uh, that for all of us in this room, our ultimate highest authority is God. Our ultimate authority over, over us is God. And these human authorities in our lives um, have different spheres that God has placed them in to, to exercise authority over us for our good. Um, and it can be complicated to kind of think of who's in charge of, of what. But as we, as we think about every human authority in our life, even our parents, they have authority based on God giving them that authority. And if they're using their authority to go against God, there is a higher authority for you. And so if your authorities are telling you to lie about something, uh, there, you, you can think of other, other sins maybe that your, your authorities are saying, uh, are commanding you to do, then you can think kind of like Peter 
when Peter in Acts 5 was brought before the Sanhedrin and they said, hey, we told you don't teach in the name of Jesus. And remember how Peter responded? He said, we must obey God rather than man, rather than, than humans. We have a higher authority than you. Um, and so if you're telling us to disobey God, then there is a higher authority. Um, kids, in, in a similar way, if, if authorities are um, being abusive to you or causing harm to you and then using that authority to say, now don't tell anyone about that, there, there, there's a higher authority over them. Uh, and we, we would encourage you to get help, to talk to someone that you could trust. But as we come back to our passage here, let's think about how this practically looks in your life. Uh, as kids in this room, some of you know this about yourself, and may, maybe you don't. Maybe you haven't figured this out yet. But some of you are rage monsters. Um, and so when you are confronted with a rule, when your parents say, go clean your room, you just feel that rage start to bubble up. Uh, and it's a real explosive. And, and you, you can think back of times where just you're shouting and screaming and crying at your parents. And that's, that's how your disobedience comes out. Because there's a lot of different ways. We're creative people. We, we come up with a lot of different ways to obey. Some to, to disobey, I mean, some of you, your disobedience is rage. And so there's a lot of real outward, external, loud conflict between you and your parents. Others of you, though, are much more sneaky and sophisticated. And you would never, never blow up at your parent like that. Never yell at your parent like that. Never say mean things to your parent like that. But as soon as your parent is gone, um, the disobedience sneaks in. And you're good. Like, you often hide it and don't get caught. Um, and there's, there's lots of different ways where disobedience can surface uh, in, in your life. Or some of you, maybe it's, maybe you're pretty good at obeying because you just feel like I got to. It actually leads to less consequences. It's this is what I got to do. But your attitude toward your parents is not one of honoring. Um, and so thinking of this Old Testament command of honor and respect, maybe you're doing what your parents say, but you're saying mean things to them. Your, your attitude and actions toward them are not honoring and respecting them. And so in all of this, we have this passage uh, that does help us think, how do I obey God? How am I? Okay, if I am a child who is trusting in Jesus and believing in Jesus, believing um, who he says he is, who he's called me to be, then this is going to live out in my life um, by the Spirit helping me to defer to my parents and to trust them and to recognize this is the authority that is over me. One, one last thing before moving into parents, because it might be really helpful for you to hear this. This is not the way you earn your way to God. Um, this is not the way that, that God looks at you and says, okay, you disobey your parents, then you're not my child. Um, or this, this is not the way that you somehow earn God's love for you um, or earn his salvation. Uh, this, this book already told, tells us, told us in chapter two that our salvation, our rescue, 
Our being made right with our Heavenly Father is by His grace. It's a gift that He gives because Jesus came and lived in your place and died for you. And actually, even, even this command, uh, we, we can see Jesus fulfilling this. There's this little short story in Luke's gospel that talks about Jesus submitting to his earthly parents while he is here on earth. And many times that he talks about submitting to the heavenly father. And so we see Jesus modeling this for us, but it's not just a model. It's a replacement. He did this in your place because you can't. You can't perfectly obey this. You can't perfectly obey your parents. But he is offering his salvation to you by his grace so that if you trust in him, believe that Jesus did that and then died for your sins and rose again, you can be made right with God. Now verse 4, we switch over to parents. In verse 4, he says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Some of your Bibles maybe say parents there or maybe have a footnote that says parents there. The word can, can mean that. It's literally fathers, but there's lots of places in the New Testament where this uh, general noun is used, masculine noun, but it's referring to both. Uh, it's a little trickier in this passage because he already used the more generic word for parents uh, up in verse 1. And then in verse 2, though, he's obviously including mothers as well. So he says, honor your father and your mother. If we look at all of the other, the majority of the scriptures talk and the Proverbs and um, earlier in the Old Testament, we're seeing there's certainly this call for both fathers and mothers. So moms, just because it says fathers here, don't think, okay, well, it's okay for me to stir up anger in my kids because uh, it just says fathers not to do that. It's okay for me not to want to raise my kids. No, in our culture and in th that culture, moms often spend more time with kids and have more opportunities uh, for applying this. But I think it's also uh, possible that what Paul is doing here is um, responding to something that was really powerful in their culture. Uh, and this is what just about every commentator, every preacher that I read or listened to on this, on this passage pointed out uh, is something called, um, I mean, I'm going to read it to you. This will impress you. Um, pater familias uh, is Latin, which means the, the father of the family. Uh, and wasn't that impressive? Um, and then later it says patria potestas. And so that father, that authoritative figure in the home, uh, which might have included more distant relatives as well, but the, the oldest father in the home in this Greco-Roman culture would have been able to function like an autocrat, like a dictator, what he said goes. And so like I was saying earlier that uh, human authorities aren't the ultimate authority. They're, they're submitting to God. This is what Paul is, is really pushing against, uh, saying, fathers, don't function in that way. Uh, you could read things where they were describing children were really viewed as property in some homes, uh, stories of being able to, to even chain them up uh, to do slave labor for the parents uh, and stories of fathers even being able to enact the death penalty on their children uh, for different offenses. And so there, there was a, a high level of harsh 
punishments that fathers were allowed to deal out. Uh, and so Paul here is saying, no, in Christ, this should shape your relationships. So children to parents, it shapes, and parents to children, it shapes. That if you are new, if God has made you alive, it shapes the way, it should change the way you're distinct in the way that you parent your children. And so the first thing that he says here, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. Uh, the first point that I had, I don't remember if I've said that clearly or not. The first point was, children, you are called to obey your parents in the Lord. This second one, then, is parents, you are called to make disciples of your children. That word disciple isn't, isn't here, and I recognize that only the Spirit, only God's Spirit can give someone eternal life, but that's true of all of the call that Jesus has given us to, to make disciples. And so we're doing our part with our children, parents are, to, to make disciples, to instruct them in the things of the Lord. And so the first way, the first thing that he addresses is the negative. So not stirring up anger in them unnecessarily. Because certainly Paul doesn't mean anytime your child is angry, that's the parent's fault. That can't, that can't be what he means. Because he, he's not just saying, just give your kids whatever they want. Uh, let them do those dangerous things that we already were, were laughing about. No, their, their parents are, are giving these rules, these guidelines, and that's, that's good for kids. And, but that can cause kids to be angry. Um, so, but it, there's something deeper here that Paul's saying that beyond that, don't use your authority or abuse your authority in a way that's going to stir up unnecessarily anger, resentment, discouragement, despair in your children. One commentary that I read says, effectively, the apostles ruling out excessively severe discipline unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Another commentator said, they are persons in their own right who are not to be manipulated, exploited, or crushed. And so, Thinking through these things, this writer was, was trying to think, what kinds of things can parents do that would unnecessarily provoke anger, stir up anger in their kids? One thing I would encourage you, especially if your kids are a little bit older, this will be tough if they're two, um, but as, as they get a little bit older, parents ask them this. I did this leading up to this sermon. Uh, this isn't a regular thing that I've done, uh, but it was healthy for me thinking, uh, my kids are going to hear me preach this. And that's tough. Uh, I, I had told some people leading up to this sermon that this, was, this one made me more nervous than, than some others uh, because of my own feelings of inadequacies and failures. And I'm, I'm not standing up here saying, parents, you want to know how to be a perfect dad? Come spend a week with me. Watch what I do. Uh, I don't feel that. I'm this is because family sees us at our worst often uh, because we're just we're around them the most. Uh, and so I, I wanted to ask my kids, I know that I've sinned against them in this way. And so I was asking them, what are ways? Uh, can you think of ways that I have unnecessarily 
caused you to be angry or provoked you. Or, I'm not going to tell you what they said, um, but I'm just going to tell you that I asked. Uh, and it could be healthy for you to get that feedback or to, or to ask a friend or to ask a spouse, um, what are you seeing in me that might be um, not helpful uh, for our kids, but stirring up uh, this kind of anger? And then the next one, he, so he's, this is the negative side. Don't do that, but do this. And so then he says, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. These, these two words, some see them together. That This is just um, this overarching idea of how to raise up and instruct your children in the Lord. This training, or the ESV says discipline and instruction. There's, they are slightly different words, though. And, but included in that is, is going to be correction when it's needed, discipline when it's needed, uh, but also positive reinforcement and affirmation, uh, showing love, uh, seeking to, to celebrate good things, to love what God loves, to hate what God hates. And so there, there is this qualifier in all of this, though. It says, of the Lord. And so there, there are a lot of pressures on parents to think about um, how do I raise my kids socially and academically and to be great sports athletes and musicians and drama team and whatever extracurriculars your kids are in to, to make sure that they don't miss any of those things, to make sure that they're really doing well in those things. Uh, you're thinking about that. You're thinking about just all of the different ways uh, in their person that you're wanting to develop them. But often one of the things that gets set aside uh, is this instruction of the Lord. As you think about priorities as a parent, um, where does Christian education or, or discipleship of my kids fit on the priority list? Uh, if, if my kids were just, just by the way that we organize our time, the way that we organize our vacations on what we, what we easily skip, what we don't skip, what I really get upset at my kids if they don't do, or what I encourage them if they're, if they're really working hard at it. Well, like just, just where does um, their own knowledge of the Lord and following Jesus fit into all of those, all of those categories? That word, bring them up, bring them, uh, is, is this tra otherwise translated nourished or feed or raise. And so there's a real gentleness here uh, recognizing the, the vulnerability of a child. And, and so Paul is, again, speaking to these parents and saying, as you rear them, as you raise them, as you care for them and nourish them, uh, make sure that as you do that, you're doing that in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is, is one other passage, if you're a parent, that would be good to make note of. This is, comes right after the Shema, uh, in the Old Testament, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. And then he starts talking about how, how that should shape parents. He says, Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your city gates. Uh, and so there's this Old Testament command for parents to be concerned as well about instructing their children in the things of God. 
I want to, to just highlight one potential resource for you. Uh, it's a book called Family Discipleship by Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin. I personally was really helped by this book this year uh, in thinking through what are some practical things that I can do with my family uh, to particularly think about family discipleship. And so this isn't a parenting book per se. Uh, it's not going to talk to you about discipline or sleep schedules or um, any of those kinds of uh, parenting things. Uh, it's, not, it's not talking about the differences between um, how to raise boys versus girls or young versus old. Instead, this is, this is a book that's particularly focused on one part of parenting that's family discipleship. And so how do I um, think about pointing my kids toward Christ? Uh, and it uses four different main categories to think through this. I'm just going to briefly mention them to you. And then in case that sparks your interest, uh, you can buy this book. Uh, so the first one is modeling. Uh, that your kids learn as much or more from watching you than listening to you. That can be both encouraging and frightening uh, because we know our own hearts. We know our own failures. We see it. Uh, we see it in our kids as they do things that we, um, that we don't like in ourselves. They, they repeat our flaws, our failures. And so this is helpful, though, in thinking about how do I live out a Christ-centered life in front of my kids, demonstrating repentance when I fall short. And then three different ways of more active um, engagement. So he gives these, the categories of time, moments, and milestones. So time is just in some way. What are some regular rhythms in our family that we're going to talk about the things of the Lord? Um, some of you maybe have tried things like this and just feel beat up uh, and it goes bad. And uh, you, you try reading the Bible or praying together as a family and it goes well for a little while and then, and then give up. And I understand I've, I've been there. Uh, th these writers are not just going to heap this guilt on you and make you have all sorts of regrets, but they do give some really practical ideas of what this could look like. Uh, for one of them, it, it is a, their kids are younger and it's a daily prayer and uh, reading with them at night before bed. For, for the other who have older kids, it's, it's more of a weekly um, scheduled time where they get together and, and talk and pray together. Uh, but different ways of what this could look like in your family. And then moments, this is just how do I as a parent react to the various things that come up, the tragedies, the joys, the problems, the conflicts? How do I use different moments in life to point my kids toward the Lord? And then milestones. Are there a few key things that we can really celebrate together and remember together uh, and use to point our kids toward the Lord? Okay, those are the first two points. I've got one more point, and I promised this sermon applies not just to people who are currently children living at the home or currently parents who have children living in the home. So how does this apply to all of us? So point three is that earthly parents teach us something about the fatherhood of our God. Um, going through this passage, as we just did, teaches us something about our God. How can I say that? Um, in, in the husband and wives one, Paul made that explicit. He made that clear. He said, look and see how this relationship teaches you something about Christ's relationship with you. Um, so how do I know this about fathers, about parents? 
uh, it's because this is one of the key ways that God has chosen to, to tell us about who he is. One of the key metaphors uh, of God telling us what he is like, he's chosen to use that idea of father or of fatherhood. In, in Ephesians 5.1, just back a chapter, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Um, here in, in, this, in this passage, Paul is saying, imitate your father, imitate God as a dearly loved child. And so being able to remind yourself and believe that if you are in Christ, then you are his daughter or his son. Ephesians 1, 2 says, grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 14 says, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit. What? that we are God's children. Uh, there are all kinds of these in the New Testament. The Old Testament refers to God as Father as well. Um, a lot of people have pointed out, though, that what Jesus changed and that was more unique is this personal Father where he taught us to pray, my Father, um, when, when, when Jesus really taught us that emphasis of God as Father. And then 2 Corinthians six eighteen. one last passage. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. As you think about this passage, all of you, um, but maybe even specifically if you're a child here today or a parent and you're feeling, I'm falling short of living up to what God has called me, of living out my identity, of submitting to God by by relating to my family in this way. Remember how God relates to you. That your God is not putting this passage in here, in here to stir up anger in you. He's not stirring up resentment in you. He's nourishing you. He's bringing you up. He's, he's relating to you as a father. So when, when you think of God as your father, of course, first, you think he is my creator. He made me. So that, that reminds us some about Father. But, but more than that, though, he is your redeemer. And, and like this, he is like a good father who is tenderly seeking to bring you up, to raise you in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so when you stumble, when you fall, when you sin against him, Think about what a good father does with a young child. Uh, dad's playing catch with his two-year-old son with a football, and the kid drops it. A good father would not say, you loser. I can't believe you're two years old. You can't even catch a football and just blow up at him and give up and say, I'm never playing with you again. Um, a good dad wouldn't do that. And, and even I recognize some of you didn't have good dads or maybe don't have a dad in the home, and this makes it tough. But even just that, what you're missing, what you feel that you missed, even that pain alone tells you something about how good your God is. Tells you he's not like that. So it might be one that you're, you're getting this by way of contrast, by you're saying, my God does not relate to me like that. No, he, 
he picks the football up and he hands it to the child and says, let's, let's try again. He doesn't dismiss the, the artwork that his son or daughter brings him, no matter how terrible it is, uh, but he delights in it and he loves it and he loves that child. And so in our weakness as God's children, remember who he is. Remember the way he relates to you. As you feel this maybe sense of inadequacy as a child or as a parent, remember how your God is relating to you, that he's even using this sermon to come along beside you and not to just dump on this overwhelming guilt and despair and hopelessness. Uh, but to, to say, here's a step. Here's a step you can take. Let's try again. Here's, here's, here's the way. Here's the way that you can do this. And don't forget, my spirit is in you and is empowering you to be able to live this out. This, this is a fruit of who you are. Remember who you are in me and let God's spirit lead you in the way that you interact in these ways. Let me pray for us as we finish up here. God, as we head toward communion, remembering Jesus, what you accomplished for us. You lived perfectly in our place, died for our sins, rose again in order that we can be called your children, God. We can be called your sons and daughters. God, I pray that that identity would grip us, that we would believe that and live out in a way that's changed because of that. Holy Spirit, help us. Where we have fallen short, where we have failed, let us remember your tender love and mercy toward us and turn to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.